Welcome to the Mental Mastery Golf Podcast by Dare to Dream, the show dedicated to fun, practical mental performance strategies for your golf game. Join mental performance coach Jamie Glazier and co-host Ross Flanagan as they discuss how to manage your mind in one of the craziest sports there is. Hello, everybody, and welcome back for another episode of the Mental Mastery Golf Podcast. My name's Roscoe, your co-host, and sitting on the – well, he's not sitting on the other opposite me. He's sitting opposite me on a computer screen, virtually sitting opposite me on a Zoom call, Jamie Glazier, the Mental Master himself. Jamie, how are you, sir? Good, Roscoe, yourself? Mate, I'm very good. I'm very good. I am itching to get back out there on the golf course. It's been too long, and we won't go down the uh, the political minefield and the discussion of why we in Victoria aren't golfing and some of our friends in other states are, but let's just leave it at we are keen to get back out there. Let's Aww. just say my expectations of hitting the golf course very soon are high. How about yours? Mine are as well. Mine are as well. It's been a long time for you. It has been a very long time for me, and I'm starting to get very internally irate i'll call it i uh i'm watching people playing golf all over the world and in other states apologize to jared felton if he's listening uh he put up a post of playing in wa the other day and i did tell him where to go quite politely but uh actually it wasn't politely at all it's just, and obviously the weather for one while the rain was here but uh i am itching to get out there and a friend of ours eric anders lang who put uh, the video up this morning of uh, his time at Peninsula Kingswood just made me almost cry. So, yeah, I'm itching to get out there as well, mate. Well, you brought the uh, video up of uh, Peninsula Kingswood that Eric and Stu made when they were down here in December. Did you did you notice my little cameo in there, uh, Jamie? No, I didn't actually. Oh, oh, thanks. I oh, I didn't. Yeah, yeah, my claim, my my, my moment of glory, you know, to be in a in an Eric Anders Lang video, and you didn't even see it. No. I, uh, I'll but, have to retrace the video. Yeah, I'm, no. I'm not sure if I watched the whole video, to be honest, this morning, but um, maybe well, that's why. It was early on and uh, it was a non-speaking role. And let's just put it that way. No, no, yeah. I was down there that morning when uh, Eric and Stu were down there. I went to say good day to Stu and uh, yep. we walked a few holes and Clates and uh, Lucas, Michelle. Uh, they all enjoyed Peninsula Kingswood. It's a great video. You should go and have a look at it. And I'm pretty confident and I'm not pretty confident. I'm pretty sure that Eric's making made videos of all of the courses that he visited while he was down here in December uh, through the Sandbelt and uh, King Island and Barnboogle. And but they won't be anywhere near as good as Peninsula Kingswood. It was the first one. There's probably a reason why it was the first one. There we go. So my expectations <laughs> are very high of getting back out there, hopefully uh, in a week or so. And that's what we're talking about today, expectation management. And it was it's a great lead-in from our last podcast, and I'll just touch back on that. Uh, I had a lot of good uh, commentary and feedback and notes around that, as did you, um, yeah. the one with Ryan Ruffles. And it was just, for me, I just sat back and pushed a couple of buttons, hit record, welcomed everybody and said thanks and let the two masters. And what a fine young man uh, that young Ryan Ruffles is. And it was so such an honest account of some of the challenges that he's had and where he's been, but most importantly, his thoughts around how he's dealt with that and how he's turned that into such a positive and some of that was related to expectations. Some of it was that related to understanding of his own position and where he is and what he needs to do. And I guess it leads into this great conversation about when we do go back to golf and go back to golf in a, a more, with a greater sense of normality is, is how we handle our own expectations, especially having you know missed normal golf. So, uh, yeah, it was your idea to have, yeah. have one around expectation and, and the management of that. And on this journey, Jamie, I am the guinea pig here learning – from the master himself and uh, I present my little challenges to you on a week-to-week basis and we dissect them and what's the the nub the nucleus the you know the nexus of expectation management mate yeah look I think for me expectation management is especially for a club golfer is probably one of the real biggest weaknesses I feel like club golfers expect way more of themselves than an elite golfer does now what I mean by that is the dispersion between their expectations and their reality, their expectations and their skill set. And, and when I talk about skill set, I'm not talking about the one time they hit that, that, that shot that was just a perfect shot, um, but what their real skill set is most of the time. Their 70% of golf, what, what quality of golf they have, their performance. And, you know, for a lot of club golfers, their, their expectations are a long way away from their reality and think that it's it's a really important conversation to have, especially as you mentioned around 
Hopefully in a week or two, we're going to be getting back out on the golf course. We're all going to be itching to get out there now. For me, there's the two-pronged outcome of that. You know, I, I know for me, when I don't play golf, when I don't play golf for a long time, and there's a lot of people out there like this, when we don't play for a long time and when we come back, we have little to no expectation. We're just going out there to really enjoy the game and then we play really well and we surprise ourselves. Then there are other golfers that have a break and they don't play and they put either pressure on themselves to play well or they get frustrated when they come back and don't play well and it's the emotional mindset or as we mentioned earlier that uh, before we chatted uh, or before we started the podcast reframing the way that we actually view what we're about to do and people are wired differently and that's that's why uh you know one for me that's why i love what i do so much because we're all wired so differently and tapping into people's unique uh you know mental makeup is 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 so much fun for me um so yeah, I think from an expectation management point of view, um, we've had a lot of questions come in since we announced that we're going to do this podcast. And the questions are a little bit more revolved around when we get back to playing golf and we're, we're, we've got that momentum back and we're playing more consistently, how do we deal with some of the situations and circumstances that we find ourselves in on a, on a weekly or a monthly basis? But, um, yeah, so... Certainly that concept of coming back to golf after a break now you know it's very rare that i will take a break from golf but it has been you know maybe every couple of years you know for whatever reason you might have been doing something around the house and you just missed that week you know three or four weekends of golf on the trot and it's happened both in both ways that you just referred to certainly have come back and just you know got the golf gear on walked out there 36 37 38 points no problems but there's been times then when after those breaks and it's been like 24 points. But I, I do reflect on the times, the, the more positive aspect of that, you know, the 36 points. And for me, I've always found that that would then set me up for an expectation that the following week or weeks, it's mm-hmm. just going to flow on from there. Yeah. And it might for a week or two. Yeah. And then it's just back to a thud with a, a real stinker. Yeah. And, yeah. and that's always been really flattening. On the other side, you know, that leading off with a stinker, well, there's only, for me, there's only one way and it's, it's up from there and, and usually it ends up going that way. But it's that one where you start off and you think, well, I'm on, I'm on a roll here, right on track for me to achieve my goals and then it's bang. And that can be really flattening. And I think yeah. a, a lot of the, the questions that we've got, whether it's that as an example, but you could then translate that into, you know, I've had a good front nine and then how do I stop? you know, myself, you know, um, how to prepare my expectations for the back nine. I've had a, you know, et cetera, et cetera. So. Yeah, absolutely. And I think too, through the years of, of working with clients of, of all different levels around this, there's, you know, when we talk about having a break and coming back, there's so much variance within that discussion because if you've, if you've come off a four week vacation to Europe and you're in a really great place, then you coming back to golf as is very different than if you've come back off an injury or come back off, you know, some time away that was more of a forced layoff and, and a stressful layoff, completely different because of the way we are mentally and emotionally when we come back to the game. And if we look at this period that a lot of us have had for a huge amount of society, like an enormous amount of society, this break that we've had from golf is stress-laden and and full of anxiety and full of fear like possibly some of us have never experienced before. Mm. So we can't just detach from that when golf, you know, the, the gates open again. We can't just walk through the gates of the golf course and all that stress and anxiety has 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 gone from our body. It is still going to be in the system and our triggers are going to be a lot different. And that's one thing that I want everyone to be aware of is just be mindful of understanding your own and and self-awareness is is, is a big one here of understanding where are you at from a self-awareness point of view, stress, anxiety, how has this coronavirus impacted you personally and, and to what level and just know, just cut yourself some slack when you get back to 
the things that you enjoy because you might be surprised that when you get back to golf, maybe you don't play as well, maybe you don't react as well to things, maybe you don't enjoy it as much as what you can remember because life is very different now than what it was two or three months ago. Um, and just to cut yourself some slack, just to give yourself two or three months to find your feet again mentally and emotionally, nothing to do with golf. But just from a life point of view, just give yourself a few months to get back on your feet and understand that that will have a huge impact on your mental and emotional point of view or your game um, and then ultimately your performance. If we go back to that thought journal that we discussed early on in the podcast, um, thoughts, emotions, uh, you know, when we have a situation like we've got, it has a massive effect on our performance. So it's, um, it's really important. One of the other topics that we talked about early on in the podcast journey, and it seems to pop into my mind as I listen to you talk about that, is it also an important time to have and reconnect with your golf identity? Is that an important thing to be aware of in helping you set your expectation levels as you come back to golf? Definitely, definitely. And, and our identity has to change because, and it might only have to temporarily change, but let's say for the people that, you know, this, there's a positive and a negative here. There's, there's a positive for people that were going through a bad run of form. Now, that bad run of form might have been four or six weeks ago. They've almost lost a little bit of that attachment to that bad patch and they can start a little bit afresh. But the opposite is those people that were riding a good wave of momentum and now that's like four or six weeks ago, they can't remember what it felt like to step on a golf course and just feel confident, feel like the last five rounds were 34 points or better. So there's a plus and a negative here when it comes to that mental and emotional, that identity, that momentum that people had. So I think it's, it's more about understanding the situation, understanding also how you react to big breaks. Some people can just get back out there and just play great straight away. Mm. So understand, you know, this is, again, that self-identity of understanding yourself as a golfer. For me, having a break, I'm going to need a good couple of weeks to actually find the middle of the club face again. I've already set up a plan for when the golf course is open. I'm going to spend at least two or three hours over a, over a week stretch of hitting balls, pitching, chipping, just to, to find my feel again. And once I find that feel then put myself in a competitive environment. If I go and throw myself in a competitive environment my first round just out of, out of excitement for being back out there, well, then I'm going to be disappointed. Or I can change my expectations. And if, for example, that happens, that we, you know, they open up on a Wednesday and we decide to have a game because that's, you know, I'll definitely take you up on that offer. <laughs> but I'm going to have zero expectations on, on result or outcome. I'm going, to, I'm going to check in with my reality of, okay, I haven't hit a golf ball for nearly 10 weeks, not one ball. I'm going to take two boxes of balls out there just in case because I know for me as a golfer, that's what I'm like. So I'm going to lower my expectations. For most people at a club level especially, expectations on the lower side of reality is way healthier from an outcome point of view than higher than reality. Mm. So, but... For an elite golfer or a professional golfer, it still does apply a hell of a lot. And with a couple of the guys we've spoken about with Herbie and Ruff, having those expectations on the lower side of reality has actually really helped them to have some great outcomes. But for some people, depending upon where they're at in their career, having them a little bit higher than their reality can be helpful. But everyone's different and that's the, the fun part about it. So what about when we get back to playing and we get a little bit more into a a rhythm, you know, week, whether it's weekly golf, weekend golf, two week, times a week or whatever it is, what about some of those managing the expectations when you're in a game situation? You know, And yep. some of the questions that we uh, jotted down from some of the uh, listeners and thank you to all of you who did uh, tune in and, and uh, answer some questions or ask some questions. So one here, you know, after playing a good front nine, yep. that, that's, uh, that resonates with me. Um, that yep. usually... Uh, sets up some level of expectation and depending on sort of where my sort of mind is at and how, how focused I can maintain that usually tells me what's going to happen in the next usually few holes. You yeah. know, that, that mid-round 
collapse, that mid-round sort of slump. Um, yeah. So this person who's asked that, I don't know who it was that asked that, but we should thank them if we do know. Um, yeah. You know, usually gets to that nine holes and they've had some level of, of success. It might be you know, 18, 18 points, might be 16 points, might be 21 points. Yeah. How do you how do you reset or is there a reset? Is there a need to stop, take stock and then re-go again or yeah. what's the best yeah. way to attack that? Yeah, look, it's a, a great question and we actually had this question come in from a couple of uh, followers through Instagram and, the, and the, uh, the, the private Facebook group as well and it's an interesting one because if we have a look at the questions, this is a really, I, I don't know if you noticed, but the questions we got were, uh, expectations around after playing a good front nine, mm -hmm. expectations around after playing a good round previously, expectations after playing a poor round previously, but there was not one question come in from people asking, what about playing a poor front nine? Because playing mm -hmm. a really bad front nine looks after your expectations. Mm -hmm. the, pattern, the pattern of 12 points, 22 points, is almost as consistent as the pattern of 22 points, 12 points. The, the poor performance lowers expectations and it's the old philosophy of beware of the injured athlete. Low expectations are so powerful, it's a, it's, it's a missed secret amongst golfers. If you go out there and go, today I have zero expectations on outcome, I don't expect or, or have any expectation on what my outcome is, but I attach an expectation to enjoyment, to process, whatever it might be, which is all we ever do when we come back from those, those athletes that come back from a long break or are injured, all they're, all they're doing is enjoying the game. They're, they haven't played for 10 weeks. They oh, this is so much fun to be out here. They have a really great mindset and attitude and they're grateful to be out there. They're attaching no expectation on performance or outcome and then their outcome of performance is dramatically better than normal. So it's just an interesting one that I looked at when all the questions came in, not one person asked, when you have a really shitty front nine, what should my expectations be for the back? Because the shitty front nine looks after that for you. You unconsciously and automatically drop expectations and that generally facilitates a higher performance. So coming back to your question on after playing a good front nine, there's, there's so many different levels to this and, and this is the thing I love about it. Firstly is, is building up a mental and emotional stamina to that environment. The environment of I have an opportunity to play a really good round, but now I have to deal with that for two hours. That's overwhelming for a lot of people. So what I say to people is you've got two hours or nine holes to deal with this opportunity, chunk it down, break that next nine holes down into three hole blocks. Just break it down. Okay. The next three holes, all right, well, you know, these three holes, how many shots do I get? Do I like the holes? Like assess your reality. Are the holes really hard for me? Do I not get any shots? And then set an expectation that is not on par with what you did on the front nine, but just on par with what you would like to do when you're dealing with this opportunity. So if in the past, as you said, your mid-round slump, you know, the, the score goes, uh, goes you know, south and you, you generally lose the plot a little bit, just go, okay, over these next three holes, let's see if I can play these holes, even with my handicap or even one down is actually going to be pretty solid today considering I'm actually feeling a little bit of pressure, nerves, excitement for the opportunity. Um, but I'm just going to break the, the three holes down. And that way then when you look at the three holes, and then hopefully then you can chunk it down to this hole. What do I need to do this hole? Bring things back to the moment. You don't get so overwhelmed. And when that opportunity is there, a state of overwhelm is, is when all the wheels fall off and, you know, we really do, you know, lose the plot. So we want to just keep away from that, that, that state of overwhelm. But the biggest thing too, Roscoe, generally with expectations is it's for a lot of club golfers, they go straight into a state of avoidance a mindset of avoidance. I've, I've, I've had 21 points in the front nine or um, I don't want to think about it, you know. I don't want to get too far ahead of myself. I don't want to. No, invite it in. Bring it in. Allow it to be there. Mm. Tell yourself how great it is. Like as, as you know, that, that's something I remember a mate, uh, 
that plays at PK as well a few months back, had 26 points on the front nine. And as he was walking off the 10th tee, he sent a photo of his scorecard to me and I was two groups ahead of him, me and about four of, of our mates. He confronted that situation. He didn't try and, oh, my God, don't stuff it up. He, he invited it in. He brought it in. And I think he ended up having, what, he have 45 points or 44 No, 44 points, I think. So shot 18 points the next side, which is really damn good. Like 18 points when you've had 26 the front nine, is, I reckon is that, that's equivalent to at least 22 points. So, you know, he invited that in. Don't so so many of us avoid thinking about what's going on we, when we actually want to invite it in because if you invite it in, you take a lot of the power of it away. It's a little bit like what uh, Padraig Harrington was talking about in that video that uh, yep. one of the uh, members in the um, Facebook group shared the other night. Yep. And, yep. and you had some good thoughts around, you know, how what Padraig might have been feeling and, and articulating when he said, if I'm feeling nervous you know, that's a great thing to have. That's yeah. that's a really positive and that's how he looked at it. So, you know, is yeah. it worth expanding on that at this time just in relation to what we what you just mentioned then? Yeah, definitely. I mean, is it not why we play golf? To be nervous? Means something good, doesn't it? Yeah, exactly. I mean, especially after a good front nine, it's like, this is good. Like, I'm having a good day. Like, it's the art of getting out of your own way. That's what, what I call it, the art of getting out of your own way and inviting it in going, oh, wow, today's a great day. Remember the story about Sconner shooting 58, you know, like he's inviting it in. I'm having a good day. This is great. Let's enjoy it. Let's just, let's just keep doing what I'm doing and not concern myself if it goes wrong. Let's just, let's just enjoy the opportunity. And that's what we all play for. So it's all about that reframing again. If we can reframe it that, hey, this is fantastic. This is great. Let's embrace this opportunity the next nine. Yes, I'm going to be a little bit uncomfortable. I'm go- and again, self-awareness, know your tendencies. Yeah, I'm going to probably think a little bit about don't hit it here and don't hit it there, but that's my tendency. So I'm going to try over this next three-hole stretch because I've chunked it down to three holes now, the first three holes of the, of the back nine. I'm going to actually try and think about hitting it in a good position, hitting the shot I want, keeping these these three pointers going, keeping my good golf going. Instead of thinking about what could go wrong, focus on continuing to play good. In talking about nerves and using the Padraig Harrington example, yeah, I'm just thinking about the most nervous that I've been on a golf course and it's linked to expectations because it was playing pennant. Yeah. I had three or four years of playing pennant uh, down at Mornington there and it was probably the most fun I've had in my golf career, you know, outside mm-hmm. of, you know, junior golf and playing alongside some really good golfers. But as a, as an adult playing pennant was the most exciting, exhilarating, frustrating, um, part of playing golf all wrapped up into, you know, six or seven Sundays in April, May. And I remember yeah. it being the most nervous that I would be on a golf course. And I always felt it was linked to expectations because mm-hmm. I had the expectations of the team yeah. Especially in the early part. And there's there's two parts of this story. I would always be nervous on the first tee. And I I couldn't really separate those nerves from then getting to an ability to make and execute a shot. Mm-hmm. I would let yeah. my I would let my nerves on that first tee of, of a pennant match usually dictate yeah. what would happen. Yeah. And I just couldn't separate yeah. You know, that process of going, right, okay, this is what you're here for. This is, you know, why you wanted to be in this team. You've put yourself up to be in this team. All of the things yeah. that Padraig's saying. Yeah. And then and then just accepting that and then just ripping one down the middle. Sometimes yeah. the ripping one down the middle happened, but I reckon yeah. in, in hindsight that was more luck because there was as many that just, you know, the second shot for me I was playing out of the bushes or, you know, yeah. whatever. Yeah. So, yeah. you know, so here's a scenario, here's go, a scenario yeah. for you that, I, that I, I discuss and mention with some of my clients. Let's say three o'clock in the morning, you're sound asleep. And if I came in and just shook you, woke you up and go, okay, Roscoe, let's go for a run. Okay. Mm-hmm. How well do you think you would perform over the next three minutes when I wake you up and say, okay, we're going for a run? Well, I'm pretty confident that I would be uh, fairly slow and tardy, but I would, uh, I'd get there under sufferance maybe. Okay. And what's say at three o'clock in the morning, you heard someone 
break into your house, you woke up, and all of a sudden you had to run once you knew someone had broken into your house. How well do you think you would run? Yeah, this isn't pre-planned, but it's something that as a plan that you have as yourself, I've worked through in my head. So I know that I would, I know exactly what I would do. Yeah. And I, I know, I know exactly what I would do because I've rehearsed that. Yeah. I've talked and, about it. And we know when, when we hear that noise and we get up to investigate what that noise was around the house, the heartbeat is racing, the adrenaline's kicking in. As Podrake said, that adrenaline, it's your perception of what it does to your performance. Most people perceive at the club level that adrenaline, that heart, that increased heart rate facilitates a poor performance where well, it doesn't. That's a lie. That is cognitive distortion kicking in and telling you a story that hinders your performance where the greatest athletes in the world, the greatest anybody in the world associates that increased heart rate, that adrenaline, as this can help me perform. But we just have to learn some self-awareness around how does it impact my performance. I remember years ago when Herbie was leading the Aussie Open after two rounds and played with Jason Day out at the lakes, I think it was. Uh, he had a pitch shot uh, on the Saturday, still leading. I think it was about the 11th hole or something. He had about a, a 98 yard, a meter pitch shot to a back pin and there was water over the back of the green. And Herbie's pitching back then wasn't, wasn't his strength. But because of some of the stuff that we'd done around uh, adrenaline and the impact of that on his performance, the 98-metre pitch shot, he played it as a 77-metre pitch shot. He took 21 metres off it because he realised that with adrenaline, he could hit it 10 or 12 longer and he can't afford 10 or 12 longer to a 98-metre pin because there's only five behind it before it goes in the water. So he played it 77 and he hit it to a foot. Now, people watching go, oh, my God, he, the commentators are talking about such self-control and it's more about self-awareness than self-control. Mm. He, he didn't control himself. He, he was trying to hit at 77 and he hit at 98. That's not self-control. Yeah. But that's understanding the impact of adrenaline excitement and then just factoring it into your, again, that information versus emotion, switching into information and then performing. Because he knew if he hit at 77, it's okay. It's, it's, there's no danger. But um, so it's just understanding, you know, what impact does that adrenaline have on me? And if I have a healthy relationship to it and I, and I invite it in, it's giving me a greater opportunity to be able to free myself up to just go and perform. If I go back to my – that's a great story. Um, and you hear about the effects of adrenaline on at the pro levels, ball flights. And, mm -hmm. you know, I'm not sure if, if we as club level golfers really truly get to experience it at the same level as they do. I'm sure yeah. it does at times, but, you know, not with that same level of awareness, maybe that it is pulsating through. Maybe, maybe, maybe we do, but um, just going back to the pennant story. And that was always my challenge, that lack of awareness, how to harness that, energy now let's call it energy of that adrenaline on that first tee but what i do know on the flip side and this is why i think playing pennant made me a better golfer at the time and has continued to have a positive impact on my game because it did help with my awareness overall because of the, the nature of pennant and match play in particular where it's just sh almost shot for shot hole by hole the impact of the score doesn't really matter it's just who wins that hole then the next hole is another competition then the next hole and the next hole so you're just shot for shot and i learned that that's how simple this game just needs to be it's just one shot one hole at a time and just execute that shot and then move on to the next one and then you know you always had the your competitor to sort of benchmark against and just you know tactically assess what you needed to do but the awareness was just, right now, I have to hit the ball 150 metres. He's over there, just hit it near the hole. And the amount, of, yep. the amount of shots that I executed under that type of pressure more effectively than, than I would in a normal sense is tenfold. The amount of yep. birdies you would make, the amount of seven irons that you would hit to six feet and then hold the putt, the yep. amount of fairways you would hit, all, all of that sort of stuff in that pen environment yep. taught me a lot about managing myself. But I just remember that first hole, I was always nervous. But, uh, yeah, anyway. Well, I mean, it's, it's, such a, it's such a good point because I get so many people say, 
I play match play better than stroke play. And the simple thing is, is information over emotion. In match play, you are forced to think in an informational sense. My opponent's here. I need to do this. It helps to facilitate that informational functioning of the brain. But in a stroke round, it helps to facilitate the emotional functioning of the brain. Oh, my God. If I hit this out of bounds, I have to reload. Oh, if I have a 10, oh, my God, I might not break 100. Like there is so much emotional component to a stroke round versus a match play round. And it's just helping people to understand the difference. And then can they trigger an informational focus and an informational brain process during a stroke round? And just, again, no need to distort reality. Okay, there's out of bounds down the left. I'm hitting it left all day. All right, well, my reality is if I hit it left, I'm going to have to reload and I'll hit three off the tee. Make it informational. Just make it a simple matter of fact. And you'll, you'll be surprised how often you are able to perform without that negative emotional attachment because it's just information. Mm -hmm. It's just reality. You've already processed that if I hit it out of bounds, I'm three off the tee. If you've processed it, there's part of your brain that says, oh, I'm okay with it. And if you're okay with it, then again, we're taking all the power away from the fear. That's all we're trying to do here is, is people think of the fear and try and avoid it, but that's giving the, the fear more power if you're trying to block it out. If you invite it in, create a reality around it and an information around it, you take a lot of the power away from it and then it frees you up to be able to perform. So, but yeah, the, the big difference between match play and stroke play is just information versus emotion the crux of it mm. so but you know a couple of these other questions that have come in are just we've probably tapped into a little bit of it with our conversation but uh you know after playing a good last round um, what is my expectation going into the next round and i think again information versus emotion you know like well what did i do last round to help me play well what were parts of the game that i did well or what things do i have complete control over that i did well that I would like to try and make a focus point in my next round because golf's up and down like a yo-yo. Just because you played good last round, it means nothing. And a lot of this expectation for a club-level golfer is about what I call applied meaning. If you don't apply any meaning to something, then it has no meaning. And if it has no meaning, it has no power. So if you apply meaning to playing a really great round, oh, my God, I played so good, I had 42 points. If you make it mean something, then it's going to have power over you in the next round. But if, if all you make it mean was today I played well and that's great, I loved it, it was a really good day, but it doesn't mean anything more than that, then it won't have any power over you in two or three days' time or the next day. Same goes as a bad round. A bad round, a bad shot doesn't mean anything. It just means I just hit a shit shot or I just played a bad round. That's all it means. It doesn't mean anything greater than that. That's all it means. So I think the expectation from a from what a lot of the questions came in about if I play a good round, if I play a bad round, if I play a poor nine, if I play a good nine, it's all about applied meaning. Have you, with your elite guys, Saturday night they've played poorly? Yep. How would they process that? What are they, What's a Saturday night look like after coming home, after maybe you know working through some balls on the range after the round? They've shot 73. They've dropped five strokes back from you know whatever the top 10 position was, as an yep. example. How do they sit around Saturday night and decompress that? So they'll probably jump off the course. They'll go into the players' lounge, have a bite to eat, sit down and have a think about what the hell happened today. Like, mm -hmm. what happened? You know, what what was it? And Ruff said a great last last week about some days you shoot, you know, you might shoot a 78. And it's horrible. And it's, it's and, but that's just golf. You know, as I've mentioned before on this podcast, club level golfers look at golf as this round. This is the day. Oh my God. Cause you know, they play once a week, Yeah. you know, like they get out there and they're like, Oh my God, I'd love, and of course we'd love to play great, but they look at it as such a short term thing where the pros look at it as a 20 year round of golf yeah. in reality. So yeah. they get in there, they think about, okay, what did I do today? What, 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 you know, what, played a part in me shooting whatever score I shot and let's go and do a little bit of practice. So let's hit some balls after the round or let's do some putting or short game and let's 
fine-tune a little bit a bit of that more so to create a positive association or a positive attachment to that part of their game mm-hmm. and then they leave and then it's gone so mm-hmm. they go through their post-round routine whether it's a mental or a physical or a technical um if it was you know something that they felt with their swing that was a bit off if they've got their coach there they'll work with them um they'll give their coach a ring if it's something technical they'll give their their sports psych a ring or their mental performance coach a ring if it's something mental um or they'll give their trainer a ring if it's something physical so they do that and again it's information based they're gathering information gathering the data one of the biggest changes that made a difference to my, you know, week to week enjoyment of golf was that post round return home. Yep. Now let's assume that it was a bad round. I remember being chastised in the house for poor behaviour coming yep. when I come home from golf because I'd played bad. It became an expectation when I walked in the door that I'd be judged yep. on, oh, you had a bad round today. Yep. And that was that only happened because my behaviour created that environment. And I had a moment of realisation where I thought, this isn't great, you know. I've got the privilege of being able to play golf and spend six, seven, eight hours away out of the house, come home and, you know, my wonderful wife has prepared a meal and here I am sitting here behaving like a chop. And I really did have to make a conscious effort to do that decompression part on the way home. I'd jump into someone else's really nice car because I worked for a car company. I was driving a Mercedes-Benz. I was so lucky and blessed to be driving a company car that was a one of the world's biggest brands and I just remember one day sitting there going don't be a don't be a flog you know like just go home and golf's still here next weekend yeah and yeah. it was I'm going to assume that I'm not the only one that has behaved like that uh, maybe I am but I reckon that there are other people out there everyday club golfers like uh, like me that have behaved like that at home whether it's in their their wife their partner their flatmates their mates or whatever it stopped them enjoying a saturday night out maybe i don't know but i reckon i'd made a conscious change to change that and it changed my whole golf dynamic my relationship with golf my relationship to wanting to go and get better and go back next week and and be better when i got back there and be better when i finished and better when i got home yeah and look i think to answer your question about maybe you're the only one uh, I think you're in the massive majority for passionate golfers. Mm. This game is like, for me, I think this game is like no other. It makes us feel things that we we don't feel in other sports or other hobbies. Like it's just, it's, and that's why we love it so much. That's why the golf bug is is, is why it's called the golf bug. You know, it's um, it's just something about the game that really triggers us on all levels. And, you know, I'm going to be, because I know this for me personally, and I, I put a post up the other day about it, and I know for a lot of people, someone put a post up on Instagram that I, which I loved. Like, it was something about, I, 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 I will never, ever, ever, ever bitch and moan about a five o'clock alarm to get down to Moona Link in the middle of July <laughs> to tee off at seven o'clock when it's blowing 50 and it's raining and hailing, I will never bitch and moan about that ever again because I would love that right now. Um, Absolutely. There's such an opportunity and I'm going to hold everyone accountable, including myself, to use this period of, I mean, this is not golf-related, this is life-related about just taking for granted like some of the things that we've, 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 we've let go of or have lost, you know, just appreciate things, be grateful for what we've got and the opportunities when the golf course opens, just appreciate and be grateful for that opportunity to go and play and try not to fall into some of the patterns that we might have fallen into in the past. And you, I mean, for me, it's very, it's at the front of my mind that last round of golf that we played together before the day before I flew overseas, my last round of golf, how much I, the front nine, I, I, you could have put me on Mars and I would have preferred to be on Mars. I just did not enjoy that round of golf. I had so many things going on in my mind. And I think about that round of golf, oh my God. If I had known that that was my last round of golf for 12, 13 weeks, how differently would I have approached that round of golf? Mm. You know, like it's, it's insane. Um, 
you know, so I want to make sure I'm holding myself accountable and everyone accountable to enjoy the opportunity of playing golf again. Whether you have a good score or a bad score in three months' time, it's irrelevant. Playing golf and, and, and enjoying the journey as golfers is, is the most important part and, and that's what I want to really just keep at the front of all of our minds. There's another question here which leads me to, to think about uh, someone must have put up there playing a bucket list course and managing expectation obviously around score and what you just said then I, I think links to, to an expectation or an understanding or an appreciation for just being in the moment of having the opportunity to play a bucket list course. I've, I'm lucky I've played and you've played a number of bucket list courses around and my personal approach is score isn't, score isn't the thing for me. On the day when I played at Muirfield for the first time, it's the bucket list course that is, you know, it's in the top 10 courses in the world. I just wanted to enjoy the experience in the clubhouse. Yeah, yeah. I wanted to take in all of these holes that I'd dreamt of seeing since I was a small boy. I wanted yeah. to see them in the flesh and feel my feet crunching the grass. Yeah. And, yeah, I wanted to make some pars. I wanted to make some birdies and all of that. But yeah. I didn't have an expectation that I was going to shoot 72 yeah. or 82 yeah. or 78. But, you know, when I reflect on that particular round, you know, my the pictures of that bucket list course in my mind yeah. are crystal clear. Yeah. And, you know, there are some distinct moments on, on that course that I remember – very vividly of great shots, great holes, great results. And I lost a couple of balls, but I just, that's how I approach a bucket list course. Now, in terms of score and score expectation and score management, I think if I ever am lucky enough to get the opportunity to go back there, maybe I'd approach it differently. Maybe I'd put a little bit more competitive pressure on myself to to want to play and see what I could do under under that nice level of um, competitive stress yeah. um, so that's how i approach a bucket list course and i just want to be in touch with the guy that was hosting me there the environment around me and just yeah. really enjoy it and come away with those memories of that uh, i can't lose you you said one thing there that i think for me personally is and for me professionally when i'm talking to my clients is one of the most important things is you said the, the pictures of that day are crystal clear now we can only achieve that if we have clarity and we can only achieve that if we are not stuck in our own head worrying and analyzing and overthinking and overstressing. Now I look at my, you know, two experiences in my life, one called Peachtree, Peachtree Golf Club, which is a, a, a ridiculously exclusive club in Atlanta. I got a chance to play with Bryden when I caddied for him at the Masters in 2012. I can't remember much about that at all. Not because I didn't enjoy the day or wasn't super present, but because my mind was elsewhere. I didn't know much about Peachtree Peach or the history of Peachtree. I still have little little images of it but not that crystal clear but then i go to birkdale last year where i got to play uh sunday afternoon after uh i think it was after the british masters herbie played early we finished before lunchtime uh herbie's coach dom his trainer at the time matt and uh and ethan one of his mates who was a member of birkdale we went and played in the afternoon and my memories of that are so crystal clear played with higher clubs it like I didn't even shoot a score. Like I, I don't think we even scored. We we just played and had a bit of banter, and we might have we might have played a money game. But it's so crystal clear, and I allowed myself that opportunity to just be present. And to me, that's more valuable than shooting three shots better than my handicap is having those images for the rest of my life of that experience, that the stories, the tales, the banter, the you know what the the horrific shank that I hit that made everyone piss themselves laughing, like. That's why we play golfers, club golfers, is for the stories and the memories and the banter. And that, well, that's why I play. Um, and I think that's why most of us play. And uh, sometimes, yeah, we do lose sight of that. And I think, again, it comes back to one statement about all this with expectations. And, and really, it's got to do with everything in life. It's about reframing. How are we looking at a certain element in our life? Or how are we viewing this opportunity if we're like some people may look at playing a bucket list, bucket list course and think about shooting under par or think about beating their handicap at their bucket list course and the way they're looking at that helps them to perform great. Yeah. But other people it has a negative effect. So there's no right or wrong. It's just about self-awareness, understanding how are you looking at something and what impact does it have on your performance. And, uh, you know, that really for me is 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 – 
what I want people to take from, from this podcast is reframing. There's no right or wrong, but understand how you're looking at something. Does it help or hinder you? Just as simple as that. And uh, I think that's, um, you know, one other question I absolutely, I want to go straight into because it's all about reframing is the expectation. Uh, one of the, the members of the private uh, group mentioned about when he's playing with his wife and a group call them up on a par three, it really has a, a negative effect on his wife. And I hear this a lot from, you know, the club golfers that I work with and maybe a little bit more so female than male, but, um, you know, their fear of embarrassment and that sort of stuff. And again, it's, it's all about reframing. I remember a, a lady that I, I worked with at Royal and she had a similar thing and she had that fear of embarrassment. And I just said, well, okay, next time that happens, I want you to think about hitting a shot that outdoes your husband, that makes, makes you the one that walks up into the green and goes, oh, you know, he's cooking the dinner tonight or he's doing the dishes, you know, because I hit it close. Switch the way that you're looking at that opportunity and look at it as instead of the fear of embarrassment, which is thinking of not hitting a poor shot, or fearing hitting a poor shot into focusing on I'm going to hit a good shot, just the moving towards hitting a good shot. That whole reframing completely changed the way she looked at that uh, situation and she just started to really take control of it and um, play really good golf from, uh, from that sort of situation. So, um, again, it just comes back to that reframing, how are you looking at that uh, at that situation. I can definitely think of a couple of examples where, you know, the positive and negative side of, of how that situation has impacted me in my time, more so at Mornington. I def- yep. I can recount certainly how hitting the ball in front of the members, I just used to channel that energy and obviously it was with the driver, the first tee at Mornington. It was just my little theatre of dreams for me because yep. I could stand up there and their expectations was that I was going to hit the green or yep. somewhere near it and I'd deliver. When I'd get near the green, then my expectations just changed. And, uh, you know, I can distinctly remember a time when, and it, once again, it had, a, had such a, an impact on the way that I, and I thank him for it now because it helped me understand what I was going through and helped me be better at handling uh, those expectations and doing what you were just talking about then. But I would hit a drive yeah. to the front edge of the green or uh, ten, five metres off the, the green at Mornington. And my mates who are usually yeah. invariably playing at the same time would be walking up the second and they'd see me where my drive was. And one of them would yell out and go, just mark him down for a five. <laughs> and it hurt. It actually yeah. hurt. It hurt. Yeah. And, yeah. and I re- once again, I had to have one of those sliding doors moments so I had to process that and go, yeah. well, you know what, I'm not going to let what he thinks that I'm going to do from this spot define me as a, as a golfer. And it certainly helped me get better at handling that type of situation because that, for me, as we've discussed many times before, that was my little area of challenge. But uh, I've become better. Yeah, look, and that's why we've that's why the the we've talked a lot about self identity, and especially with you as the uh, as the the willing guinea pig is because our self identity does actually have a massive impact on the way we do view things and the way we look at things. So we can't just reframe out of just fluffy positive self talk like. We've got to actually reframe from a foundation of reality. And uh, uh, I think that that's, you know, um, where people can often get lost with expectation is because they think positive self-talk and, a, and just talking positively, thinking positively should help facilitate performance. But it, it doesn't. You've got to have some sort of foundation to support those expectations. So that's why I'm such a huge one on, on our reality. Um, so, mm-hmm. and you know, this is the, the, the last question that I think is, is a great one to finish with is about putting the expectations on the putting green. I mean, when I take people through these statistics at a club level of the percentage of putts made from a tour player, you should, the, the, the blood drains from their face. They're like, oh my God. But that's what they need. They need a dose of reality to be able to get them to walk on the green and not be so harsh on himself and not expect perf- beyond perfection. Mm. You know, because if I said to you, I'll go through, we're going to go through the, the, the actual uh, percentage make rate from a variety of different feet, three foot, four foot, five, six, seven, eight, nine, 10, 11 to 15, 15 to 20, 20 to 25 and 25 plus of PGA tour players. 
Okay, so I'm going to say that, that if we were to halve them, halve the percentage for you or I, that would be probably our norm or our reality. Because I would say we're, we're not even half as good as a PGA Tour player. But I'm going to round up for the sake of this exercise. So if I said to you, what's the percentage make rate for a PGA Tour player from three feet? I should know that figure. Uh, three feet, it's like nine, is it 90%? Three feet is 99.4%. Yeah, 99.4, yeah. Okay, so if I say round down because we're 50% is good, 50% for you and I. Now, we're probably a lot higher than that in right. reality. Mm-hmm. Most club golfers would probably be 70% or above from three feet, 60% or above depending upon. So... Mm-hmm. But a lot of club golfers I work with, they're like 100%. I should never miss a three-foot putt. Now, that's not reality. Depending on how good you are, 95% is very different from 100%. Yeah. Okay, so four feet. So 99.4% from three feet. What do you think the four-foot percentage is? It's only a foot. Drops down to about 75, 80. 91.4 for a PGA Tour player. Right. Okay, so that's a loss of 8%, mm, in a which is a lot. Yeah. Okay, five foot. What's the make rate for five foot for a PGA Tour player? 85. 80% drops 11% from another foot. Six feet. 75. 70%. Okay, drops another 10%. Seven feet. It drops more than 10%. No, it doesn't. It drops 10%. Again, it's 60%. Right. But as a, as a club golfer, I just want everyone to stop, pause, check in with themselves. If they had a seven-foot putt, which is not long, a seven-foot putt for a three-pointer, they're hoping to make it, but they'd be quite disappointed if they didn't. Yeah. But it's only a 60% make rate for the best players in the world. I'm going to say for you, Joe and Susie, who are listening. 40% at best. Okay, if, if your name's not Joe and Susie and you're listening, it is now because I'm talking to you. It's 40% at best from seven feet. Next time you have a seven-footer, just allow yourself a little bit of reality and go, okay, my chances of making this aren't better than 50-50, but if I want to make this putt, what do I need to do to give myself the best chance to hit this putt and hold it? I need to... Hit it with confidence. I need to be committed to my line, committed to my read. All you've got to do on the greens is come back to what do I have control over now and then focus on committing to that. And that will increase the percentage chance you have of holding this part. So if we've got to eight feet. So seven feet was 60%. Eight feet is? 50. Yeah, 52 for the best players in the world. 9 feet, 42%. 10 feet, 41%. 11 to 15 feet is 30% for the best players in the world. Next time you have a 12-footer, think that, uh, you know, the best players in the world are 30% chance of making a 12-footer. You're about 10%. Cut yourself some slack. Don't think about ramming it in the back of the hole and leave yourself a 5-footer because your 5-foot percent make rate is probably at about 50%. There you go, people. Because these uh, expectations are important because if you expect to hold it, like if I said to you, if you two putt from 12 feet right now, you are gaining strokes on your average. You look at that putt completely differently than if you expect or hope or want to hold it. Yeah, 100%. And that's... Again, it's that long-term vision of our golf. Don't look at golf as this round, this part. Look at it as a holistic, long-term statistical data. And that's why, you know, the, the pros, when they, when they hit a really bad shot, like I watched the video, obviously, uh, Justin Thomas's birthday today, I believe. Um, uh, Ryan Ruffles' birthday yesterday. Um, happy birthday, Ruff, if you're tuning in. But JT hit that big shank, uh, I think it was at Riviera earlier in the, maybe last year. And he just looks at the ball as it's like sailing right. And he looks at him and goes, I don't do that very often. <laughs> like their reaction to those negatives uh, are so much better because they're so much more in tune with reality. Mm-hmm. 
So, you know, that, 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 that's an important thing. But, you know, from 20 to 25 feet, the best players in the world are 12% and 25 feet and above are 5%. So, you know, that's such an important thing to, for us to digest about next time we step onto the greens is my chances of making a putt from anything outside four feet is not 100% and far from it. But there are things that you can do right now in the moment that increase your chance of holding this putt. And that is hitting, a, hitting the putt with a confident stroke and being committed to your line and speed. Don't doubt it. Because the second you start to doubt your line or your speed, your percentage of make rate for this part will, will go down. It doesn't mean you'll make it, but it gives you a better chance of making it. There you go, people. That's, uh, I guess that's a lot of it, uh, a lot of golf in a nutshell there. You know, if you, you could extrapolate those and have, have those facts and figures across a lot of areas of the game relative to the pros and how many fairways and, and what else they do. That, you know, you could really get a big dose of clarity around your own expectations. And once again, the, the whole nucleus of it is are you prepared for each and every shot? Are yeah. you prepared for what's in front of you and how to deal with that in that moment? It's gold. Yeah. It's absolutely yeah. gold. Is that right? Is that right? What are, I'll just absolutely. Yeah. And, I mean, Herbie, I remember for, for a couple of years there, Herbie used to oh, he used to take the piss out of me a little as, as we know that he and Ruff and all the other guys I work with do on a consistent basis. But I talk a lot about chunking it down. Like if we just bring things back, chunk it down to this moment, you know, the, the back nine after a good front nine. Okay, well, let's just bring it down to let's play these next three holes solidly. But let's bring it back to this hole. Okay, I'll get a shot here. If I have a five for two or, you know, that that's really good. But what do I need to do now? I need to hit that shot here. If we can bring things down more to this moment and what things we have control over, if I have clarity over my shot, if I execute it with confidence and I commit to my decision, it doesn't mean you're going to hit a great shot, but it increases the percentage and chances of you hitting a good shot. And that's all we can do as golfers at any level. Yep. And, you know, when you said, there you go, people, uh, about the putting statistics, I'm part of that, there you go, people. I'm part of that club golfer that has a five-foot putt, and if I miss it, I walk off and I'm like, Oh, geez, you know, Jamie. But I'm learning more too. As we're doing this podcast, I'm speaking to, to you and I'm speaking to club golfers, but I'm really learning a lot of things myself in regards to, ah, oh, that's what I need to do when I play a bit more golf. So, you know, I'm excited to get back out there to apply a few of these mental principles that we've discussed because I don't, obviously, as you know, I, I don't play anywhere near as much golf as I'd like. And, um, but yeah, I think it's. Uh, I'm. I'm really excited about going out there and, and executing the things I've got complete control over, and whatever outcome happens, whether I shoot 90, 85, 75, whatever, you know, just ride the waves of golf. You know, I'll just feel quite blessed to uh, to get back out there and take advantage of uh, the opportunity to play again and enjoy that. Enjoy your company and whoever else uh, we get to play with along that journey, and just uh, enjoy the moment and just be thankful that we're back out playing and in comparison to many parts of the world unfortunately probably a bit sooner than some of our colleagues and friends and family members uh, overseas so yeah, yeah just grateful for uh for the ability of uh, all of us to get back out there and you know and do it and as as you said you know i've it's been a great time of reflection i like you you know through talking to you this is like a little uh, golf therapy session every time we get together and uh and do a podcast jamie and uh, i really do uh, appreciate uh, everything that I learn from you, and as I know that the listeners do, I think uh, I think, mate, we've um, we've covered up our time. I, th- I can hear Jackie uh, in the background. She's probably Great. probably got uh, some uh, some dinner there ready for you, mate. She's cooking a beautiful dinner. She you, you might have heard halfway through that podcast her pouring another beautiful glass of red wine that uh, I'm uh, I'm enjoying. So um, no, look, it's. It's great, and I just want to thank everyone who has been putting, sending in questions, and following, and subscribing, and sharing uh, all the uh, the mental mastery content via the podcast, and also now the private Facebook group. So please, uh, any golfers out there, look up the Mental Mastery private Facebook group, and uh, you know, request to join. And uh, you know, we're just trying to create a really dynamic community of people that want to improve their mental game, but also just want to enjoy that journey of of getting better. And uh, yeah, so really thank everyone. 
more new members coming in by the uh, day, mate. I see that growing and growing and growing. So that's great. Thanks to everyone who uh, has shared that with their guys. All right, mate. Well, it's been great to catch up. It's been a great episode. I'm sure that this one is going to resonate really well with a lot of people. And until next time, we catch up with you on the Mental Mastery Golf Podcast. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening to the Mental Mastery Golf Podcast by Dare to Dream. Make sure to subscribe to the podcast and head over to daretodream.com.au for exclusive access to the free video program, Eight Tips to an Unbreakable Mental Game. Join us next time on the Mental Mastery Golf Podcast.